morning church. It's already November, can you believe it? The school year is ending and holidays are coming. As we end another year in the pandemic, okay, it suddenly occurred to me that long-standing school traditions may be lost as a result of prolonged social distancing. I come from a school which loves mass dance. The student body would gather for mass dancing during college-wide events such as orientation or mid-autumn festival. I can still remember our excitement when a song starts to play, the agony of not being able to find a suitable dance partner, and everyone rushing into the open plaza from all directions. Then suddenly, the crowd is united to the beat of that old song, Together in Electric Dreams. With safe distancing regulations in school, I wonder if this mass dance tradition would be lost. Fortunately, my fears were unfounded. A quick search online reveals that our students have of course turned to online platforms. Dance tutorials are now recorded on YouTube and mass dance sessions have been held over live stream. Nevertheless, something is still lost in the process. Not all the dancers have been uploaded and I was sad to see students dancing in twos in school or alone at home. As I reflect upon the potential loss of tradition due to changing times, I realize that it is truly a miracle and God's providence that the, tra that the traditions of the church and the message entrusted to her have endured centuries, even two world wars. Christians today are still gathering on Sundays for worship. Anglicans are still following the church calendar, counting time as the ancients do, observing the seasons of Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter and ordinary time. And the message we're preaching is the same message the apostles preached, the good news of Jesus Christ. Is it possible for church traditions and the gospel to be lost? Yes, it's very possible. Did you know that Christianity was present in China as early as the seventh century? But when a Chinese emperor persecuted foreign religions, Christianity, Christian faith met with extinction. It was only much later in the 13th century that the gospel was heard again in China. Church traditions and the gospel can be lost depending on circumstances. For this reason, as we go through our Advent sermon series, beginning with God's kingdom and moving backwards to the final judgment, to the end time tribulations, to the second coming, to the church, the prophecies and the conception of Jesus, before we celebrate his birth on Christmas Day, let us not take for granted that we can gather together as a church to hear salvation history being retold once again. Indeed, we ought to give thanks that we heard it last year and are hearing it again this year in spite of the pandemic. We especially must give thanks that there is still chance for those who have never heard it before to hear it again this time. So much for preamble to the series. Now, by way of introduction to today's sermon, a pop quiz. What do the following items have in common? It's, it's me, right? Yeah. So, so, put it here. What do the following items have in common? Have I lost sound? 
Oh, sorry. Can you mute me first? Hi, hi, hi. Testing, testing. One, two. Hello, hello. Yes, yes. Okay, sorry. Back to the pop quiz. What do the following items have in common? A great fish, a Hebrew prophet, a fast-growing plant, a vegetarian worm, a Syrian king and nobles, sailors, a sea storm, domesticated animals, and the east wind. Yeah, I heard some J words. I have two answers in mind, and I'll tell you the first one now. What is common about these things is that they all appear in the prophecy of Jonah. I'm preaching from Jonah chapter 3 today, and I should warn you that the theme is judgment. The message is simply, believe repentantly in the Lord who judges and forgives. We'll first look at how the Lord judges and forgives his people and those who are not his people. Then we'll see why the Lord can judge and forgive everyone. And we'll end by looking at how this passage points us to the coming of Jesus Christ. According to the book of Kings, Jonah is a prophet serving during the time of Jeroboam II, king of Israel. Jonah is one of God's people. Chapter 3 begins with Jonah receiving an overseas assignment from God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. This was the second time the Lord was commanding Jonah to go to Nineveh. It was the second time because he refused to go the first time he was called. We know from the previous chapters that Jonah had fled from God. He took a ship which was going in the opposite direction from Nineveh in direct defiance to God. But God chased him down with a raging storm on the sea. In order to save the innocent and frightened sailors on the ship, Jonah confessed to them that he is a Hebrew and the God of Israel was punishing him. He gave the sailors permission to throw him into the sea to appease the wrath of God. Seeing that the storm was only getting worse, the sailors did as they were told, and the storm subsided. Meanwhile, Jonah was sinking into the deep darkness of the sea, barred by water currents and chained by seaweeds to the roots of the mountains. These are his poetic words in chapter 2. But of course, when he was drowning, it wasn't so beautiful. In reality, it's probably more like, oh, so dark. I can't see anything. The currents are strong. can't swim. Something's around my head, my neck. I'm choking. And as his body sank down to the seabed, at which point we can say his life has truly hit rock bottom, Jonah repented and cried out to the Lord for help. Then God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah and transport him back to dry land safely. From Jonah's experience, we learn that the Lord does judge and punish his people. Even when the Jews were his chosen race, even when Jonah was his anointed prophet, God judges and disciplines them when they disobey his commands. At the same time, we observe that God is quick to forgive his people. I'm pretty sure Jonah didn't have time to fast and pray when he was drowning. He probably can't even say the confession prayer properly if he could remember. His prayers must have been short, simple, and silent. I'm sorry, Lord. Bubbles come up. Help me, more bubbles. I will obey. Jonah's repentance took place in the flesh, 
but it was nonetheless sincere. Therefore, God accepted Jonah and removed the punishment. In response to God's merciful pardon and gracious salvation, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, he went to Nineveh immediately. This great city, larger, wealthier, and more renowned than Jerusalem, was the capital of Assyria, the Assyria which eventually conquered the kingdom of Israel. However, if the events of the prophecy of Jonah took place during the reign of Jeroboam II, then Assyria was not yet a mighty empire, but a troubled nation. During the time of Jonah, the nobles of the Assyrian court were powerful, and the king was constrained by them. This historical reality is reflected in our passage where the Assyrian king is a nameless sovereign whose kingship is limited to the capital. In verse 6, we see that he is called the king of Nineveh instead of the king of Assyria. And in verse 7, his royal decree to the nation had to be co-signed by nobles. Also during this time, Assyria was under constant threat from her neighboring countries. Thus, when a foreign stranger came to proclaim, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, her people knew that this was not a prank. But it was not the fear of being overthrown that transformed the people of Nineveh. For if they had only believed in imminent downfall, they would have either fortified their city against attacks or make a preemptive strike against their enemies. But as it is, they responded with outward demonstrations of repentance. Everyone wore sackcloth, sat in ashes, fasted and moaned, even the animals. And they admonished each other to inner repentance, to turn from their evil ways and the violence that is in their hands. Their repentance has come about because they believe that the Lord, the God of Israel, has come to judge their wickedness. We see this in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That is, the word of God through Jonah caused the people of Nineveh to believe in the Lord. Also in verse 9, the king and nobles said, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They believe that the God of Israel is able to destroy them if he decides to, but he may also let them off. Hence, even though the Lord is not one of the gods they worship, they know that the wisest thing to do is to repent. And sure enough, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. From Nineveh's experience, we learn that the Lord does judge and punish those who are not his people. Even though the Ninevites do not worship God, even though their kings and nobles were not his anointed ones, God judges and punishes them when they disobey his design for humanity. At the same time, we observe that God is quick to forgive them. Granted, the city fasted 40 days before they could be sure that God has decided to forgive them, but the Lord has already forgiven them when they believed in him and resolved to turn away from their wickedness. One can even say that the Lord has already for decided to forgive when he sent them Jonah. For if God were determined to destroy them, there would have been no opportunity to repent. 
there would have been no warning. But God sent him, Jonah, to warn them and give them a chance because he is ready to forgive. The prophet's proclamation of judgment is at the same time an offer of salvation. I'm starting to receive emails on year-end sales. Nowadays, we're given advance notice on sale periods uh, so that we can prepare early, uh, browse early and add to cart. My problem is I always add to cart, but I forget to check out. Shopping is not a priority uh, for me. As you can tell, I always wear the same things. Uh, so it's easily overtaken by events. And before I know it, the discounts and offers have expired. God's offer of salvation is also time-limited. If you've been exploring Christianity, visiting churches and watching our services online, remember to check out before it's too late. And in case anyone thinks that they can spend their lives in reckless immorality and obtain pardon with a last-minute deathbed prayer, let them consider this. The city of Nineveh was given 40 days to get their act together. But in the Bible, two other cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, these were destroyed overnight. How do we know whether God would treat us as Nineveh or Sodom? Since we cannot know when and how God will end our earthly lives, it would be wise to repent today. And for those of us who have already checked out, remember to use what you have received. What I mean is, with the power of the Holy Spirit, live lives of repentance, do good works, and avoid evil. You may think, are we not doing that already? Let me show you a photograph I took. You're looking at a vape pot I found on the road near our car park gantry. A vape pot is a disposable cartridge containing flavored nicotine liquid. When connected to an electronic vaporizer or vaping device, the liquid is heated into a vapor which is then inhaled. Vaping is very similar to smoking cigarettes, except that vaping devices generate less smoke and are easier to conceal. Vaping devices and pots are illegal in Singapore. Those who are found selling or in possession of these items may be fined or jailed. I don't know how this illegal item landed within church grounds, but I know that at least one person in our church is guilty of vaping. This person has committed a criminal offense. More importantly, he has an addiction, which is also idolatry. No doubt, this person still comes to church, but he or she also worships nicotine. And let me tell you this. I was able to recognize this vape pot because someone showed me one before. Let the congregation be informed that there are at least two persons in our church with nicotine addiction. I'm not surprised if there are many more of you, whether youths or adults, with the same addiction. And I wouldn't be surprised if we find other types of addicts in our congregation. People who are addicted to alcohol, people who are addicted to pornography, power, sex, money, entertainment. 
It pains me to think that the free people of God are enslaved by these things and are unable to break free. I don't know who these addicts are. Nobody has told me about your bad behavior. There isn't any CCTV footage capturing the owner dropping this vape pot. But God knows who you are. I remember Martin Luther writing something like this in his commentary on Jonah. If you think that God isn't doing anything about your bad behavior, you are mistaken. Judgment and punishment are already chasing after you. Your conscience is your own prophet who charges you with sin. No matter how many times you try to silence it with excuses, rationalizations, even with research and evidence to justify your addiction, every time you engage in the act, your conscience tells you wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And your punishment is the constant fear of being found out, the fear of being condemned by others, and doubts about what is right and what is wrong. And even now, as you sit frozen in your seat, afraid that any movement will reveal your addiction, there is a storm in your heart which terrifies you. Sadly, some addicts don't feel anything anymore. To these, Luther says, your heart is hardened. Like Jonah, you are sleeping through the storm, unaware of your imminent death. Brothers and sisters, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are addicted to something, anything, do not harden your heart as you hear his voice today. It is to you our Lord Jesus Christ says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May the truth of final judgment set you free. Know that before anyone settles into the kingdom of God, there is going to be a final judgment. This final judgment is different from the judgment of Jonah and different from the judgment of Nineveh. Judgments on earth are opportunities for the disobedient to turn back to God and for the disbelieving to believe in God. But the final judgment is a decisive verdict. In the final judgment, when we stand before God in heaven, we will either receive an eternal reward for faith or eternal punishment for unfaith. This decision is final. There is no purgatory. There is no second chance. Therefore, the wisest thing you can do in life is to accept God's earthly judgment and turn from your evil way today. Seek help for your addiction. If you don't know how to go about it, talk to someone you can trust. I'm available. If I'm too scary, there's still Reverend Jonathan and Ravi. Take up the offer of salvation before it expires. Let's return to our pop quiz while we catch our breaths. Let's breathe, shake it out. What do the following items have in common? The second answer is, they are all created by God. Sorry, this is all I can come up with. As it's written in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9, the Lord is the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. 
The prophecy of Jonah weaved in all these items in his prophecy to drive home the point that the Lord is God over all. He described how God made people from all walks of life obey and worship him, how God commands great winds over land and sea, how God can summon fish and worm to do his bidding, how God can give life to plants and take it away. Even the inclusion of animals in Nineveh's nationwide fasting and moaning was not a superfluous detail. I mean, didn't you find it strange that cats and dogs need to fast as well? I mean, can you actually make them fast? Anyway, now we know that it is a necessary detail to complete the big picture. The big picture that God is sovereign over everything in heaven and on earth and in the sea. God is sovereign because he is creator. All creation is made by him for him. Thus, the Lord has the power to control creation and the right to demand worship from every creature. Because the Lord is God of heaven who made the sea and dry land, he can judge and forgive those who are his people and those who are not his people. Some people think that if they don't follow Christ, they will not be subjected to his rules and judgment. How foolish they are. Like Jonah, they're going in the wrong direction to escape God. Our passage today tells us that there is no escaping God. Wherever we are, the sovereign Lord can see us and touch us. His authority to judge humankind is not dependent on our faith. But the good news is, the one who judges is also quick to forgive. God is quick to forgive you. Whether it's a desperate prayer when drowning, a prolonged fasting and prayer, or our routine confession during Sunday services, God can and will forgive those who turn to him in faith. Coming to my final point now, the story of Jonah going to Nineveh is a foreshadow of the coming of Jesus Christ. This is why Jonah is part of our Advent readings. Jonah is a beta version of Jesus, if you like. Like Christ, Jonah was sent by God to an unfamiliar place where he's not recognized and has no influence. Like Christ, Jonah came to proclaim judgment and call people to repentance. Like Christ, Jonah sacrificed his life for people he didn't know and was in the belly of death for three days. And like Christ, Jonah was brought back to the land of the living as a testimony to the sovereignty of God to judge and forgive. Of course, as a beta version, Jonah was inferior to Jesus in many ways. Jonah was not gracious, nor merciful, he was quick to anger, he had no love for his enemies, and he objected violently when Nineveh was forgiven. In spite of all his human faults and weaknesses, Nineveh responded with repentance when they heard his message. How then shall we respond now that someone greater than Jonah is speaking to us, namely Jesus Christ? Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. He was sent and he came the first time so that we may be warned about our sinful ways. Because Jesus came, we know that God has already decided to forgive us no matter what we have done. 
For if God were determined to destroy us, there would have been no warning. But Christ came to warn, and indeed to die, to put away sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. And he will appear again a second time to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Since the Lord is ready to forgive sinners, you and I, let us respond by believing repentantly in him. Amen. Thank you, Evangeline, for a timely but sobering word. Ask the worship team to make their way up quickly. And we're going to prepare our hearts to uh, come to the table of our Lord. But as she was sharing, and especially at the conclusion, I was reminded of a passage in Second uh, Peter 3, verse 9, which I think most of us know and know uh, fairly well. It says there, The Lord is not slow concerning His promises, or His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. And uh, should reach repentance, rather. That any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And that's really uh, what we do when we think through the uh, season of Advent of Christ's inevitable uh, second coming. We are reminded that there is judgment. And, you know, today is a day of salvation. Today is a day for us to repent. So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes as we prepare our hearts uh, to come to God's table, but also to bring ourselves before Him in repentance. Acknowledging that, Lord, You are God. Father, we come before your throne of grace. Lord, your great love, which was demonstrated on the cross, which we are reminded of as we come to your table, gives us the courage and the willingness, Lord, to repent, to know that you are not slow concerning your promises, but that you desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, we come before you right now. We ask you to do your deep work in us. To continue to make us into a people who are called by your name. Who bring glory to your name. Forgive us, Lord, of the things that we have done. The things we have failed to do. The ways in which we have proceeded despite the fact knowing what we do is wrong. And yet, Lord, I believe your grace has abounded to us this day, bringing us a word in season to remind us, Lord, to come before you. Help us, Father, to respond appropriately.
these things we ask and pray in your son's most precious name. Amen. We're going to take up rings again. We